Number one in the world. Uh, number one in the World Cup. Uh-huh. Number one in the world. Okay. Hi, I'm George Tekmachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson. And we're back for Easton Podcast number 52, which is a remarkable thing in itself, but we won't dwell on that too much right now. It's nice to have you back in the office after uh, seven weeks of travel, whatever it's been. Uh, too many. Insanity. Yeah, good um, to be back. I've been there, done that, and I can I can say that, you know, there's it, it takes a lot of effort to come back that first day and focus and get yeah. work done. And so, anyway, good to have you here. Um, so, Steve Anderson, after your silver medal performance in Turkey, which we're going to talk about shortly, uh, you are ranked number one for the compound men in the World Cup. Yep. That's a, a heck of a improvement over last year where you were ranked number 10 by the end of the season. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So, just need uh, probably one more good tournament and – and you're ahead of some heavy hitters, Rio yeah. Wild, Stefan Hansen, P.J. Deloche, Braden Galantine, Sergio Pagny. Uh, you know, all of these are top-class shooters, and you're right up there. So congratulations, Steve. That's Thanks. really awesome. Yeah, so, our problem is, um, as you know, you know, only two per country can go. So yeah. we may we may have uh, easily three in the top seven and uh, or top eight, since Sergio's ranked in the top seven, it will go to eight. Um and we we may not get you know all three of us here we might want to have to leave one of us home yeah which i mean you know when you have that quality of uh of shooter you can't go wrong with who you send but you're also sending somebody home who certainly ranks right up there with anybody else from any other country who's allowed right. to go so that's well that's just the nature of the beast mm-hmm. you know there's already a lot of uh a lot of complication with mixed team being part of the thing now by the way, while you were gone, uh, the IOC approved mixed team for Tokyo 2020. Yeah, saw the official announcement. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, really good. And um, that means, of course, some more medals for recurve archers who will be participating in Tokyo 2020. Um, no more shooters, per se. Still 64 men and 64 women. But uh, a lot more countries that didn't have a chance to qualify full teams have a shot at a medal now yeah and i i didn't see how they will uh generate the field for mixed team because they may not have i mean theoretically it's possible they may not have 16 mixed teams I, i don't know how how this will work i'm sure i'm sure in my head it'll go off of first team qualification and if teams qualify both a men's and women's team then they're going to have a mixed team and then I'm not it'll sure probably it's going to be, i'm not sure it'll be a whole lot different than how it's done in I, yeah I, I don't know we'll we'll let them sort that out it's i'll not tell you what to we're gonna about. have tom dealing here in a few days and i plan to sit down with him and uh maybe you and i can take some time and and um uh, just uh, suss that out yeah i'm sure he'll know off the top of his head yeah and speaking of people coming here of course we've got world cup stage three which is about to begin and uh all the preparations are rapidly coming together over at the Eastern Archery Center uh, as we prepare to see the world's top shooters. Chinese Taipei is already here, and um, that's a good segue to discuss your medal match. Yeah, in Antalya. Yeah, as usual, um, the second stage of the World Cup, Antalya, Turkey, had the finals on the beach. And there's one thing that's always true about shooting on the beach. Yep. Try not to be on target number two. <laughs> yeah, it's windy down there. It's always windy. It's just a uh, – I mean, I shot target one in the morning for team round, went seven of eight. Target two in the afternoon, I went like six of 15 or something like that. So it was it was just challenging. I knew it would be. Um, it. I will say, you know, it sucks to have to deal with that, not to shoot a, a clean match because – if we had if we had sat down with with no wind, I was not going to lose that weekend. You know, I had shot extremely well throughout all of the rounds going going forward, and it was pretty pretty uh, certain in my mind, at least, that you know if it was straight up conditions, I was going to be yeah, fine. But, you know, here's the deal, Steve. After years of watching this particular venue, because it's yeah. been the same for many years now, you know, and I know that it's a going to be windy. And B, if you're on target two, I think that statistically 
you're going to have some trouble. Yeah. The and wind, there's it, just an opening in the in the tents behind you, and the well, wind just whips through So there. just so people who haven't seen this before, go to YouTube, and, and uh, if you're outside the U.S., or go to NBC Sports if you're in the U.S., and you'll see that there's on the on the right side of the shooter, there's a long spectator stand, which has a, the, the effect of almost magnifying the wind because right to the rear of the shooter is another stand, and there's a gap between yeah, the like two. Yeah, there's like a five meter corridor there. It's a funnel. Yep. And you know, I've seen I've seen top shooters just absolutely get hammered in that position. Um, over and yeah. over again. It was hard on me. I, I you know, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, make an excuse. No, like, I'm actually oh, prompting you to talk about it. I know blah, you, blah, you, blah. you never brought this up. <laughs> I, you never made, you never make yeah. excuses about this kind of thing, but I'm just being honest and pointing out, you know, this is not an optimal setup. No, I, I honestly, if I was, when I walked off the field, I was pretty happy because it could have been worse. You know, I was, I was honestly happy to, to yeah. walk away with what I had. I, there was one arrow I aimed in the middle. The rest I tried to hold near or on the yellow. So, so your your opponent for this uh, this match was uh, Chen Xiang Xiong of Chinese Taipei, yep. who we have not seen uh, at this level before. Um, his first win in a World Cup, his first appearance that I can think of in a long time, and um, it's the first gold medal for Chinese Taipei in compound in a world event. Yeah, I mean, uh, so it's a great achievement there. Honestly, I think if you were to rank nations and in, in a you know just say across the board, how strong are they in archery? I think Taipei is. They're always one of the better women's recurve teams. Their men's recurve team is competitive, but yeah. But the women's recurve is right up there. Yeah, they're they're probably number two behind Korea in my mind. Um, Depends on the day. Yeah, I, I would say they are. I mean, they had two individual finalists here yeah. in in uh, Antalya as well, um, and their men's compound team has shown some promise. You know, they have a couple other shooters who are decent and will improve, and um, you know, obviously a winner already. So yeah, clearly the inclusion of compound in the Asian Games has absolutely raised the bar for Korea, for Chinese Taipei. And for a bunch of other countries in mm -hmm. Asia, and uh, India comes into play in that uh, category as well. Uh, you know, you can't take it away from from uh, a number of countries now. You cannot forgive me for saying this, Steve, because I know you're part of the you're part of the team, but you cannot count on the USA team's traditional domination anymore. Uh, no, you can't count on anybody dominating, right? Because we're playing a game that's, for lack of a better term, too easy for everybody. We're too close to perfect scores. You're saying that that 50-meter target is, is not enough to separate. Right. The cream doesn't rise to the top. I mean, there, there are guys who are genuine bad shooters indoors who are very competitive outdoors. Because of the 50-meter target? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's... All right, so uh, what's your solution in your mind? 60 meters. Okay. Increase the distance. Yep. I mean, okay. we shoot it at Same field target. ground. Yeah. Same target. I shoot it in field. What does that do to the women's uh, category? I don't know. And to club shooters <laughs> and to that sort of thing. Do you think that's going to have a negative impact if you were to do something like that? By the well, way, it's not know, that this is just Steve talking. This is not something World Archery is talking no. about right now. Yeah. I as mean, far as I know. Scores will drop, yes. But is that negative? Is that is that bad? I mean, recurve shooters don't shoot 700. How often do we see perfect scores these days in a 50-meter round? You don't ever see perfect. Well, no, right? It's never been done. Right. But that's cause of X count. Right. We do see 150s all the time. The problem is you see a serious number of shooters over 700, you know, given the conditions. I mean, I remember the one year in China it was like 43 guys shot a 700, you know? There's nothing separating the mid-level shooters from the elite-level shooters. And even the, the guys who aren't very good, you know, give them – bad conditions and they can muck it up with some of the best of them okay <clears throat> I, I see your point I, I i understand your concern but i will also point out i'm looking at the results you know i have the full sheet of medalists and i don't see too many people who you don't see often on the podium right so i'll just give that little bit of pushback to your statement that that it's not doing enough to separate the elites from you know, the, the wannabe elites. I think that at, at least at these levels, 
it is doing that to a degree. I, I'm not seeing a big anomaly. You mm-hmm. know? So I, I respect and understand your point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be very interesting to see what would happen at 60 meters if it was a windy day. Yeah. I mean, it would. You're, you just have to get accustomed to shooting a few more in the red. Well, I don't think know? it would be very difficult. I think you'd get there quickly from the standpoint of yeah. – uh, you know, just the mindset and everything else. But uh, yeah, we we've talked about it a lot. I mean, seven hundred is no longer a good score. Seven hundred was one of those scores that on any given day, if you shot a seven hundred, you were almost assured of a medal. You know, in the qualifying round, if you shot a seven hundred, you were at a level where it was going to be real hard to beat you, or yeah. real hard for you not to be on the board. Now yes. you're right. I mean, you know, you're seeing a bunch of seven hundred somethings. Yeah, seven ten. I mean, Almost is what you need. Well, just just look at our, and that's out of seven twenty. For those of you who don't know, look at our team round world record. You know, it was a it was good conditions, and on that day, that was the day forty three guys shot seven hundred, and we shot seven ten, seven eleven, seven twelve as a team. You know, that's kind of uh, it's really really getting them up there. So, I think at sixty, it would be. A little more it, it would separate the pack a little bit I'm not saying you know it might just do the same thing it might just drop everybody's scores and we all shoot about the same scores i don't know it's hard to say so uh brayden galantine had a good uh, performance bronze medal for brayden yep and yeah. um been a while for him he's pretty pumped yeah you know how's his attitude been this season I'd say it's been pretty good he's uh you know, last couple of years he was just struggling in the rounds getting through so starting to put things together and remember how to advance and find himself in some finals again it'll be great to see him out here next week in salt lake uh for the compound women uh some some of the usual suspects yeah what's becoming the usual suspects 100 percent. yeah you know sarah sonicson and tanya jensen and sarah lopez sarah taking her first loss in a couple of years uh but ended up with a bronze medal yeah, she had like 31 straight match wins or something like it's that at remarkable. World Cups. Yeah, yeah, it's a hell of a streak. It's it's uh, one that's going to be hard to break. Yep. And uh, let's see, for the compound men's teams, Denmark uh, beat the USA. Yeah, yeah, they they got us. You well, know, it happens. We didn't have our strongest team performance, but uh, well, we you we sure had a strong team though. Steve Anderson, Braden Galantine, and Rio Wild. Yeah. Can't complain about the quality of that team. We like shooting against the Danes. It's fun. We're all friends. So. Well, they had two world champions on the Danish team as well. So two, uh, three world champions on the USA team versus two world champions on the Danish team. Yeah, we couldn't get it done. Bunch of bums. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? And then France coming on strong for the bronze with uh, some veteran shooters, including PJ. Yep. Yep, they so, shot pretty well. Compound women's team was uh, Denmark for the gold, which was a bit of a surprise. They beat Colombia, which had uh, two veteran shooters, Sarah Lopez and Alejandra Uschiano, as well as uh, Nora Valdez. And then Italy taking third. Yeah. Compound mixed teams, uh, Denmark again. So this was a great tournament for Denmark. Yeah. And uh, Chinese Taipei sec- taking second for the compound mixed team. India taking third, including Abshak Virma, who uh, we've seen at a very high mm-hmm. level of performance. For the recurve men, J.C. Valadon beat Brady Ellison in the final. Yeah, what a match, too. Yeah. So, um, any any thoughts about that particular match from the standpoint of, I mean, JC was strong all the way through from what I saw, twenty nines, yeah, and finished with a ten. I think, uh, you know, again, it was a it was a pretty windy day, and I had to leave and head to the airport before that match. But I was down on the beach with them before, and uh, yeah, it was picking up, it was getting windy, and um, you know, I don't think it's a huge concern of. Brady's, you know, Brady. Brady's pretty. He's got his life in a good place right now. He's not gonna get hung up on a win, win or a loss here. You know, it's a kind of a meaning. It's I'm not gonna say it's meaningless to Brady, a World Cup win, but I don't think Brady feels like he's got anything to prove to anybody. You know, the uh, he just needs to put himself in finals and do his job. The four so. fletch was he still doing the four fletch? I didn't notice. I I don't know. Okay. The uh, the outcome of this event puts J.C. Valadant in first place ranking for world archery ranking. Yeah, he's world number one now. World number one, which is great for uh, J.C., of course. It's the first time a French archer has been world number one in about 10 years. I think Lionel Torres 
yeah. was the last French archer to be ranked number one in the world. So fantastic outcome. Um, and you know, JC is a rock star these days in France. I mean, it's good just, to see him not slumping after you actually, know, a good actually, Olympic performance. I would argue doing better. Yeah, I think he, he he's probably taken a huge weight off his shoulders. He probably, again, doesn't feel like he's got to do anything to prove. No, he's got nothing to prove. I wonder if he even feels like he's got to build towards that anymore. You know, that pinnacle of Olympic success. He's been there. He's summited the mountain to a point. I mean, silver. But absolutely, he should be pumped with that. And I just imagine for your psyche, you can go to every event and totally not care. You don't have to ever go and have success at the Olympics to feel validated. Yeah. Or validated. Yeah. <laughs> um, daunted. So he's probably just shooting nice and relaxed, you know, very carefree and – that's a great way to approach tournament archery. I need to point out that we're not we're not in a dental office doing the uh, podcast, but there's a little construction going on next right. door. An yep. office is being expanded, so sorry about the noise. Um, it, you know, the Italian guys are showing more depth lately. The younger guys are coming up and and mm -hmm. kind of replacing some of the old crowd, some of the old old guard, as it were. And David Pasqualucci has been, you know, poking at the podium more and more, and yeah. he's made a bronze medal podium here. Yep. So. Uh, I think we're going to see, you know, Max Mandia and David and some of these other younger guys coming up. Um, you know, we saw them make their mark in junior archery, and now they're mm -hmm. they're following through. Yep, I think David's going to have a lot of success. But that's not to say that the old guard guys like Marco Galeazzo and Mauro Nespoli aren't still still hanging around. Yeah, yeah. they're still there. And in fact, uh, in the recurve men's team event, it was Marco Galeazzo, Mauro Nespoli, and David Pasqualucci taking the gold medal. Right against the Kazakhstan. Uh, yeah, the storyline that is Kazakhstan. Yeah, and Japan took uh, the bronze medal there, um, which was a good performance for them. I think you know, I think a little bit of disappointment individually, but Japan did well as a as a team. So this is going to be an entertaining podcast with yeah. all this noise going on. All right, for the recurve women, Russia, um, Tanya Perova took the gold medal. Uh, Lin Xiaqia of Chinese Taipei took the silver, and Li Chenying of Chinese Taipei took the bronze. Backing up what you had to say a little earlier. For the recurve women, I was predicting Japan for the gold medal um, in my usual side bet with uh, Chris Wells, but <laughs> I was wrong this time. They, but I was right that they were in the gold medal match. I'll take that as, as a little bit of, you know. Yeah, they, they got there. Yeah, so um, gold medal was Chinese Taipei. And, you know, some great shooters, including ones we've seen at the World Championships in Copenhagen and the Rio Olympic Games, Li Chen Ying, uh, Peng Chiamao and Tanya Ting, who Miss Tan has just been tremendous for the last 10 years. Um, silver medal was uh, the return of Ren Hayakawa. My buddy Ren, who is uh, by far the tallest shooter on the Japanese team, <laughs> man <laughs> or woman. How tall is she? Uh, tall enough. Um, Ren, um, Ren had a bad shoulder injury. She's been coaching down in Nagasaki for a couple of years now, trying to recover, and clearly she has. So... Very cool. Yeah, so that's really good. It's hard to want to. It's hard to want to come back from that, let alone put the work in to actually come back from. Yeah. That. So Miki Nakamura and uh, Tomomi Sugimoto uh, rounded out the rest of the team. So all in all, Turkey, uh, a very successful event. You know, the compound men um, situation with uh, Mr. Chen now from Chinese Taipei, having taken that gold medal, first gold medal for Chinese Taipei ever in men's compound. Obviously, showing the effects of. Uh, the positive effects of having compound in the Asian games. You know, countries like Korea, countries like Chinese Taipei, certainly India, and, um, you know, a number of other countries having stepped it up. China, of course, you know. Um, you took the silver and Braden Galantine uh, doing well with the bronze medal performance. Yeah. And uh, see Braden on a World Cup podium again. Yeah, he's been working hard, but he hasn't been podiuming as much this year. Now he's back. Uh, Sarah Sonicson, Tanya Jensen, and Sarah Lopez. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. Names that we've been hearing for the past year, and we're hearing them again. Sarah Lopez, what an unprecedented streak of wins. Yeah, 31 before Tanya ended it. Yep. And so, you know, there's no shame in, in 31 consecutive World Cup match wins. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you win four, you're having a pretty good day. Absolutely. Well, you'd know. <laughs> All right, so Denmark uh, took the compound men's team gold medal over the USA team of yourself and Braden and Rio. Yep. 
And Denmark, uh, of course, with the two heavy hitters, the world champions, Martin Damsbo and Stefan Hansen. So maybe a little revenge for Stefan there, right? Yeah, it's, it's always fun shooting with those guys. We're, we're all pretty good friends. So. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, actually. And then France um, taking uh, the bronze medal with uh, the veterans, uh, P.J. Deloche and Dominic Genet in there, um, and Fabienne Delobel. For the compound women, Denmark uh, rising to the occasion. Um, and then you've got Colombia taking second. Uh, Italy back for third place with uh, two veterans, including the world champion, Marcella Tonioli, and the world university champion, Irene Franchini. So that's a pretty impressive performance there. For the mixed teams, Denmark again. And then you've got uh, Chinese Taipei, silver, and India with the bronze beating the USA. Mm-hmm. So very good performance from India for that bronze medal in the uh, mixed teams. For the recurve men, J.C. Valadon. He's ripping it up. You know, he's had a great year since uh, since winning that silver medal at the Rio Games. I wonder, and I, I speculate, that winning that gold or that silver medal in Rio has literally taken everything off of him. He can show up at any tournament he wants now, um, either very prepared or unprepared, and he's probably going to still shoot pretty good because he doesn't have – the mountain to climb anymore. And a tremendous uh, rock star reputation in France right now, which, right. of course, you know, as many of us know, France has the biggest population of, of world archery shooters in the world. Yes. You know, pushing 80,000 shooters. Yeah, or more. Yeah, and JC has a great image, and he's a great ambassador for the sport. You know, um, I think that it's just sky's the limit, you yeah. know, on that. I mean, honestly, that, like I said, to show up at a tournament with no fear of failure and no feeling of needing success, you, you doors open for you at that point. Dropped a 10 on Brady, his uh, his rival at the Rio Olympic Games, kind of, sort of. And, uh, you know, um, just, just one outright. Brady's shooting well, though. Yeah. And he's a good place right now. Yeah, Brady's shooting great. Um, another guy who I think is kind of in a, a – place in his career where he really understands his job and and what he's out there to do and uh, doesn't have to prove anything so you know Italy is an interesting case right now because they've got uh, a mix of veteran shooters and some younger guys that we've seen in the past guys like Max Mandia guys like David Pasqualucci who have been kind of bubbling under the surface just kind of maybe waiting for some of the old old guard to move aside, and David Pasqualucci advances to uh, win the bronze medal for Italy. So uh, bright future ahead potentially for Italy with some depth there, with some uh, talented shooters. For the recurve women, uh, you know, Ksenia Perova has had a good season so far for Russia, and uh, she took the gold medal over Lin Xiechia of Chinese Taipei. Yeah, shooting and, well. Yeah. And Her first uh, World Cup gold in like She's been competing for about 10 years, my yeah, understanding. Yeah, and she's had a good season so far this year. The The team did very well, um, you know, in the previous World Cup. And then you've got Chinese Taipei. They took the silver at the previous World Cup. You've got Chinese Taipei uh, with uh, Li Chen Ying taking the bronze. For the recurve men's team, um, the old and new from Italy, Marco Galeazzo, the 04 Olympic champion, Mauro Nespoli, who just set a new Italian record recently with his X-10s, and David Pasqualucci taking the gold medal from Kazakhstan, which, you know, has had a solid performance in the last two World Cups. They're really making themselves into a storyline. If they can, if they hit another final match, you know, if they make another gold match, then I, I don't know how you describe them other than, uh, you know, a collection of individuals who, as one, are much greater than their parts individually. You could argue that, but I'll tell you that Denis Gankin and Oybek Sadjiev have been a force to contend with for 10 years now. And I think that they're they're in a good place right now, and they're getting good coaching. And I think that, you know, I, I personally I'm actually not surprised. I yeah. know that this is kind of a fun story for some folks, but I'm not, I'm not at all surprised to see Kazakhstan at this level. I think, I think most are. You know, that's the, the general consensus, and it's a – it's a fun thing to talk about, you know. We uh, we were at the pool, and Weetzi, the the coach of uh, Italy, you know, he said, "Yeah." We asked him how he did, and he said, "Oh, we our team made the gold medal match." And 
so oh, cool who are you shooting against and he said oh kazakhstan and we said oh good luck yep <laughs> like uh you know having seen what they did to korea and shanghai and now we we see them in another gold medal match so we kind of wanted to spin that story as you know the unbeatable team and, oh for sure it's fun yeah obviously it, you know italy gave them a pretty good thumping but um I, you know i do think if kazakhstan can keep it going it it, it just gives archery a good storyline the bronze medal was won by Japan, um, which had the Olympic silver medalist from London, Takahara Furukawa, our good buddy, and Hideki Kikuchi, um, and Onoyama, who I've known since he was a high school kid, which is pretty cool. So some fresh blood there for Japan, as well as a couple of veterans on that particular team. Uh, for the recurve women, Chinese Taipei showing their potential. Yeah. You know, with uh, Li Chen Ying and Peng Chiamao and Tanya Ting. Miss Tan, of course, has just been a force to contend with for 10 years now. Yeah, always been good. My good friend uh, Ren Hayakawa of Japan is back on the world stage. Um, easy to pick out in a crowd, Ren is, especially in Japan. She's the tall one. She's practically the Steve Anderson of, of Japan. You're right, yeah. So Ren's been injured for a couple of years now. She had a shoulder injury, and so it's great to see her come back from that. Uh, Miki Nakamura and Tomomi Sugimoto of Japan uh, rounding out that team for the silver medal. So my gold medal performance uh, prediction for Japan was not quite fulfilled, but at least they made it to the round. Yeah, they made it in. At, at that point, anything can happen. Michelle Kroppen joined the two veterans, Elena Richter, the world field champion from Germany, and the silver medalist of the Rio Games, Lisa Unruh, uh, for the bronze medal, which is a great performance for Germany. I'd say that archery has been given a kickstart in Germany with Lisa's uh, unprecedented Rio performance. Yeah, I know nothing about it. But <laughs> I mean, I, I know about Lisa's performance, but I couldn't tell you anything else about what's happening in Germany. Well, I tell I you. I was there, spent the night there. Lisa, uh, yeah, in Frankfurt, right? Yeah. Flying back? Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was an odyssey you had. Yeah. The uh, Yeah, I mean. There are stories to be told. Yeah, there but. are many stories. To be told. I may or may not, after the gold medal final, have dove in the pool with an, a, with a phone in my pocket. You found that the iPhone 6 is not waterproof. Nope. The not iPhone 7 minutes. is, by the way. You can yeah. get away with the, the dive in the pool. Yeah, so that was Saturday. You know, what we are, Wednesday today. I'm just now getting this situation fixed. So what a what a mess. Yeah, you're actually headed to the Apple store. We get off, off yeah. the podcast here. What a mess. Well, that's all right. At that's least you're home and you got your laundry done and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I didn't bring a, like a computer, you know, because checking computers – for flying flight to Turkey, Turkey, yeah, is, it could be could it's be sketchy. Not a pro, it's not easy. So, I left a computer. I left the iPad, and um, on the way home, you know, Braden gave me his iPad. Thankfully, so I had something to to use. Otherwise, uh -huh. I was gonna be dropping some coin on one in the Frankfurt airport. I was know? gonna say, can you imagine sitting on that long of a flight with nothing at all? I mean, yeah. no no music, yeah. no headphones. It was that'd be torture. Well, there's you know we've all become so accustomed to using our devices for literally everything so i i get to the frankfurt airport you know and i was overnighting there so i i land from antalya into frankfurt and i have no idea where the hotel is and you know amongst other things so i uh i kind of looked at it as is fun you know it's good to get away from your stuff once in a while so and it, you know if i ever want to be a contestant on the amazing race which i think I think is my next career, reality, <laughs> reality TV star. Um, you know, I, I've got to be, I've got to be prepped on this stuff. Uh -huh. And I found the, I found the hotel in record time. Had, had no issues with that. Would you stay at the NH? I stayed uh, Hilton Garden Inn. There. I actually like the NH when I go to when I fly through Frankfurt. I'm not familiar with the NH. It's good. All right, so recurve mixed team, Chinese Taipei, France, and Spain. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, that wraps it up for Turkey. Looking ahead, here we are in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And we've got bright blue skies, dead calm wind, and we're looking at the potential for some wind, but it's going to be warm and dry the entire time, which means pack your sunscreen. Yeah, it'll be hot. We're at 1,400 meters here, so you can get burnt by just, you know, just walk outside and yeah, you, can, you can get burnt in 10 minutes. Worst burn I ever had came in Salt Lake, so... It uh, yeah, sunscreen is a must, and it's gonna be hot because we're on the the turf as well. So the turf adds probably at minimum ten degrees, I would say. Yeah, um, on the positive side, the humidity is super low. Yeah, it won't it won't feel as bad as as other places. Right, but. and when the wind starts blowing, you better stay hydrated because yeah. it let's, will. 
let's hope the wind doesn't do what it did over the last few days. Nah, it won't. It won't happen. We had a thirty degree temperature change over the course of twenty four hours, and that's yeah. why the wind was so strong. If we'll it stays hot, now. it'll be okay. I was over at the archery center yesterday, and uh, Chinese Taipei is over there practicing. The um, the field is is I'd say sixty percent set up right now as we speak, uh, which is Wednesday before the uh, weekend when all the athletes start coming in. Uh, Korea will be here in a couple days. Uh, I think Japan will be here in a couple of days, and then a whole bunch of teams start coming in. Maybe I should go over there and practice once in the blue moon. Yeah, go hang out with the Chinese Taipei guys. You know, get some revenge for... Shoot, maybe pick up a, a tip or two. <laughs> you never know. All right, so we've got 171 men, 132 women, so 303 competitors as of the uh, current listing. Also 112 officials, so 415 participants. We've got a couple hundred volunteers that are going to be coming around from the Salt Lake City area. One thing we're real good at here in Salt Lake City is generating volunteers for events like this, as anybody who went to the Winter Olympics knows. And um, so, you know, with uh, with that, we've got uh, a very good turnout, better than Shanghai, slightly, and much better than Turkey. Um 34 countries with recurve men, 26 countries with recurve women, so something like 40-something countries total participating at this particular event from Argentina to China and points in between. This will be a good good turnout. Yeah, people like to come here. I know a lot of them were excited because of the shopping opportunities and things like that. Oh, yeah, there's some good ones. Yeah, these uh, these countries get here, and it's a lot different than a – a regular world cup format well the i mean the format is the same i would say the the uh it's actually to and from and stuff like that convenient because the hotels are so close yeah the hotels are two three minutes from the the range you you could walk it would take 15 minutes or so um but you know the these these teams will they'll wrap up the day and they'll head into town go to the mall stuff like that so yeah so it's a, it, you know Salt Lake City is not a megalopolis you know it's it's a small enough city that you can still get around without having to deal with a ton of traffic and other problems but at the same time it's big enough that it has some nice amenities so. yeah really everything you can imagine so and they've even moderated the crazy drinking laws a little bit so i will say uh so once they go get a beer they can for me the uh, home field advantage, you know, I, I'd need to practice on the field to have a home field advantage. That's one. But yeah, If you practice, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I don't think being at home offers you any advantages. There's there's generally more distractions. You know, I'm going to have – Your family will be there. Family both on both sides will be here. Um, you know, there's uh, – you're not – I'm here at work still. I'm going to be working. So there's a lot going on and – you're not just there focused on archery. Now you've got other things to contend with. And, you know, when we'd play, when I played college hoops, we'd, we'd go on a road trip. And oftentimes, yes, you are dealing with another team's home court advantage. But I'd say as a team, your focus and preparation is better because that's all you're thinking about. When you're the home team, you wake up, you, you know, say it's a Thursday night game. You wake up, you go to class. The other team's in the gym. They're prepping. And you're in class because you have to be a student athlete. So <laughs> that that sort of stuff, I think, has some parallels here for me in archery as well. Interesting. I personally find myself performing better when I travel. Um, if I go to a field that I've never been on before or I go to a country I've never shot in before particularly, I, I find myself kind of rising to the occasion, which is kind of satisfying in that regard. Yeah. So uh, just looking at the standings right now for the uh, Archery World Cup 2017, uh, of course, the finals are going to be in Italy, or, you know, in Rome in particular. And so uh, with Sergio Pagni in the top seven, presuming he stays in there, probably going to have a total of eight finalists in yeah, the men's compound category. Yeah, we'll go that point, yep. So right now that's you as number one, uh, followed by Rio Wild. And, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, this could have some some serious potential for a tremendous high-level final. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, the same people that we've seen on the podium in every category are ranked highly for the World Cup this year. We're going to move on to the uh, tremendous number of questions that we've gotten, again, from our Facebook followers at the uh, Easton Target Archery Facebook page. 
And um, you want to start out with any particular question, or we'll just take them in order? Let's just hit them top to bottom. Let's do it. Travis Eilur says, Steve Anderson, Alina, and I spoke to you in Darrington at the USA National Field Tournament. It was a pleasure to meet you and get to speak with you. And now after speaking with you, Alina really wants some ACGs sponsored by mom and dad. That's not a question, I guess. It's just a comment. Yeah, I mean, I know how it is. I was sponsored by my mom and dad initially, and then I was sponsored. Aren't we all at some level? Yeah, at some level, and and props to those parents. And then I was sponsored by uh, American Express. They're... (laughs) Uh, but you have to pay the bill. Yeah, there's like an 18% APR going back to them, so <laughs> something like that, you know, whatever it is. Know. You my, sign up for that American card. With my Express arrangement, I, I pay mine every month. So yeah, I that's do. That's kind of nice not to have to worry about. Well, you know, I, I will say when I was trying to make it in archery, I stacked up. I mean, I've told people this before. I stacked up pretty healthy credit card debt, and uh, it's part of the game. You want to play the game, you got to pay I your didn't, way. But you know what I did? I wore out cars with mileage. Yeah, I did that for a while, too. I put 225,000 miles on a Saab. I had a Saab 900 Turbo, and I put 225,000 miles on that sucker, which is, anybody that's owned a Saab Turbo will tell you, not a cheap thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, and you're probably, you know, sharing hotel rooms and beds and whatnot. And no, I'll tell you. Cramming in. and Yeah. So that's, uh, it's paying your dues. Yeah. Andy Vanderweer. Um, says that you've mentioned before having somebody talk about optics like the peep and lenses used for Target, maybe Chuck Cooley. Uh, yeah, we've talked about uh, trying to do that, and we are still going to try to do that. We, we just, just haven't. We got to be at a tournament where Chuck's there, you and know, and we need to be yeah. in a position to uh, to do the podcast. So, I, hopefully, we'll we'll run into Chuck sometime soon, and we'll we'll sit down with him. What to look for in a lens, magnification, its effects, what causes shifts in point of aim, etc. And so, yeah, absolutely, Andy, we'll we'll uh, try to keep that in mind for a. Uh, near future podcast sarah our friend sarah is saying that she's heard us say before it's normal for sighting to change a bit when lighting conditions change yes and so she says she's still kind of new at outdoor shooting like us to expound on that a little bit she's seeing her groups moving and moving some more shooting during sunset hours the other night yep i um i used to shoot a field that faced north and as the sun set i believe i was generally moving my sight to the left that's actually common because what's happening is, among other factors, your pupil is getting bigger. And so for a recurve shooter who relies on string alignment, uh, you're going to see some of that. And that's in the northern hemisphere, of course. In the case of um, compound shooters, I think you just have to pay extra attention to your alignment on your, on your housing. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it is. If it's refraction or something off the lens, I don't know. But, yeah, generally... Going to have to move it a little bit as the as the lighting changes. I mean, that's why you hear about people saying, you know, they don't like uh, a clarifier outdoors because you go from shooting one side to the other. Like, say in, uh, say in 3D, you shoot one side of the lane, then you turn around and shoot the other side. Light's entering your peep the other direction. It could be problematic. Um, so it's just something to pay attention to. And thankfully, an outdoor target, you know, things happen pretty slowly, so you can – just give the windage a few clicks as needed. Interesting question from Mark Stockman writing to us on Facebook. Uh, hi, Stephen George. I was re-watching the field championships in Ireland on YouTube the other day and got to thinking, would a compound work with swing bars? And if so, why has no one done this? Strange question, I know, but if anyone would have any thoughts on this, I'd say we might have an idea. So uh, I've got some thoughts, but you have you want to take a shot? Um, I've thought about it a little bit. and if, In my head, it would kind of regulate the effect you get out of the front bar a little bit um you know a sidebar when you start going up and down a hill can really change the torque of the bow but it's uh it's not something i'm ever going to (laughs) try here's uh here's my thought on it real quick swing bars are effective on a recurve in some cases because they're actually self-leveling compounds have a bubble Mm -hmm. so i don't think you get as much benefit plus the way that you guys aim I don't think it's compatible with swing bars. No, it would it would drastically change the the feeling in the hand if you know at least how I perceive it. I, I haven't went and tried this, so I couldn't speak from experience. But um, you know, we get accustomed to the feeling of where the weight is at on the bow, and as that changes, your grip pressure changes, and and a lot of things are can go haywire. Sure, Tyrone Pierce House. Could you discuss the benefits of single back stabilizer versus double back stabilizers? 
One of the benefits of a single stabilizer and vice versa seems the norm nowadays is to use a single back stabilizer. Why? And um, I think obviously he's referring to compound here. Yeah. So um, I've think, seen both out there. And yeah. Everybody seems to go back to the singles. And most guys run a single and clearance, right? It, it's a little bit clearance. It's a little bit, uh, I, I believe due to the way our hand enters into the bow and, um, you know, I prefer a bow that tips to the left pretty hard. It's easier for me to hold it up against my hand rather than, you know, if the bow was more neutrally balanced, I would feel like I was kind of uh, trying to keep it on that balance point rather than force it upright. Um, and, and you see people shoot V-bars too, and, and I think maybe they want more weight out the back, but they don't want it offset to the side so much. So they do, a, you know, a second bar, and then they split the weights uh, – you know, say 60, 40 or something like that from one to the other. It's, there's really no, no right or wrong. It's just going to be how you, how you want to approach it. And, um, you know, that, that V bar and sidebar setup can really affect how a bow tunes for you based off how the grip sits in your hand and, and, uh, the torque it creates on your bow. So something you might think about, I mean, if you're looking for a perfect shot through paper, you're probably not going to be hanging 25 ounce off the left side and, kicking it out really far because that's going to make it pretty difficult to achieve that so chuck cloud um says that he's been shooting a prevail for about a month now and he's kind of tearing up the uh, limb dampers that are on the bow mm -hmm. are you using your limb dampers steve yeah i use them i don't have problems so it, it, i've seen some people who have them move a little bit um if you put a little hairspray on them it'll keep them from moving which might be what's causing his to tear up a little bit so okay yeah, so just, just a, spray a little dab of hairspray on there to, to maybe dry up and yep. act as a glue to hold them on yeah, in their position. In, yep, exactly. I will say don't put uh, duct tape on them like I've seen some shooters <laughs> from certain countries doing. Yeah. kind of defeats the purpose. You see a lot of interesting things from shooters from that country. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Rahat Zan Wan is uh, saying that he's shooting a bare bow using a Horizon Pro riser, which is a recurve riser. He was required to mount the weights directly to the bottom stabilizer hole of the riser to comply with the World Archery Bear Bow rules, and he wants to know how much the weight size plays part in the balance, inertia, and stability of the bow. Um, for example, one weight set is an inch and a half in diameter with an inch and a quarter thickness. Another one is two and a half inches bigger in diameter with a shorter thickness. Provided both weight sizes are the same in mass, which one will provide better inertia and balance? I don't think it's going to make any difference that you're going to be able to really notice, honestly. Yeah, it's too small of a And it's attached difference. to the bow itself. It's not hanging out there in space. You're not going to honestly have any any real difference that's going to help you. Plus, remember, you've got to stay within that rule for the uh, diameter of the, uh, you know, the, the, the gauge the, that they yeah, use. Yeah, the bow has to pass through the ring, right? So don't go too crazy on making a big diameter weight. Sam is asking, how important are vibration dampers on target stabilizers? Seems that under 18 inches, bow feels dead in the hand. As I get closer to 30 inches, I feel it more and can see it in my stabilizer and scope bar. Once the arrow is fired, should I worry about it? Shooting a 70-pound Hoyt Hyper Edge with a stabilizer I've never heard of before. He calls it a carbon shadow stabilizer. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. It sounds like he is concerned about vibration. Okay. Um, Let's understand one thing, though. What he's dealing with is happening after the arrow's already gone. Right. It's not affecting the shot. It's right. affecting the reaction. So my answer, Sam, is vibration dampers are not important on a target stabilizer as long as you're happy with whatever level of vibration you're dealing with after the shot. If you're not happy with the level of vibration, start out with a minimum damping that makes you happy. Once you start putting too much damping on there, you can decouple the weight from the stabilizer and start getting odd stuff with aiming. And the other thing I'll say is maybe try a different stabilizer, you know, borrow one from someone else and, and see if there's a significant difference. Um, you know, some of the bars on the mark, it's not hard to make a stabilizer. So a lot of companies have entered into that fray, but they may or may not have addressed, it's you know, it's not hard to make an ordinary stabilizer that's tubular in shape. Right. And has yeah, no technology. A, exactly. That's which what, is what I'm getting a lot at. of stabilizers yeah, if are. You throw together a carbon tube with, you know, some, uh, some bushings, you, you might get a lot of vibration out of it. It's not trivial to build something like one of our contour stabilizers. No. Just, just throwing the brag on here for a second. Right. You know, and, and uh, you know, like our parallel tube Z-Flex, we use 
a uh, proprietary damping system mm -hmm. in the base of that. So. And then he wants to know, is that your voice, George, on the Hoyt customer service line? I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> could be. Could Roland Deason. Hello, guys. Congrats on the number one World Ch uh, Cup ranking, Steve. He's got a question for both recurve and compound. Is the answer maybe different? So we'll start with uh, the compound aspect. Do you both push and pull evenly or just push a bit with the bow hand and draw a lot with the draw arm? Um, on the compound side, I would say, you know, one, it depends on the day, depends on the shooting conditions. But if it's extremely windy, I'm trying to maintain a good bow arm push and really pull on the string to help steady up. Um, if it's normal conditions, I would say it's probably a pretty 50-50 balance. You know, I'm not trying to pull the wheels off the bow by any means, but I am trying to slowly build tension and I'm not trying to hyperextend my elbow, but I am trying to direct the bow to the target. For the recurve, um, you know, shooting a recurve is a little different. It's all about focus, rhythm, and timing. And if you have those factors working in your favor, then there can be a variety of things. Really, we're talking about a perception here because you're pushing either way. Otherwise, you're going to take the bow right in the face. Mm -hmm. So clearly what we're talking about is where we're emphasizing our right. motion right when i'm shooting well i'm kind of focused on my rear elbow moving back and not really focused on a lot of other stuff so from that perspective i will say the perception is that you're pulling more right but that's because the other side might be working well for you exactly. and you don't have to focus on it exactly so it's it's a little different mindset roland ryan boyle says that he seems to have plateaued score-wise in 720 compound rounds. And he'd like to have some tips to up the mental game to boost up the scores. So, Ryan, you know, the first thing you got to consider is what's your comfort zone for your score, right? Some people have what's called a comfort zone. That is, you know, their self-image or their perception of their performance is, I'm a 680, I'm a 700 level mm -hmm. shooter, whatever that might be. And when you start getting to a point where you're going to break that score or you're not going to approach that score, either way, your mindset changes. Uh -huh. What you've got to do is visualize yourself shooting a higher score so that your subconscious can accept getting outside its comfort zone. Yeah, there's not – I mean, you're, when you step on the line, you're not trying to shoot a 700 say – say your goal is 700. If you go up and you say, my goal is 700, and you're trying to shoot a 700, you're not shooting one arrow. Right, you got to go up and say, "My goal is shoot a 10. because we can all shoot. It's all one arrow at a time. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, Ryan. It's, it's so, one arrow at a time. It's so cliche to say it, but really, you got to shoot the one in the bow, and that's it. Um, yeah, the arrow that's in your quiver that's about to be shot, it's going to have its turn. Right. The arrow you've already shot, you're not going to run down there and grab it and stick it in the target somewhere else. Right. So forget about it. It's already in there. I, the I, only arrow that matters is the one in your bow. And I guarantee if you say my, my goal is 700 and, and you get halfway through your first round and you're going, oh, I'm at 175, that's exactly 700 pace, all right. You know, you're going to finish. I guarantee you're not going to shoot at 705. Look, I know some shooters who can deal with that, two shooters that I know, that I can, that I can say reliably can deal with that. One of them was Daryl Pace and the other one's Jay Bars. Those two guys are extraordinary people. Most people, myself included, are better off not looking at the score and just shooting one arrow at a time. Right. Yeah. So I mean, my my best rounds have come when I found the rhythm and just shot shot was in what was in front of me. Yeah. You, you can't you can't go out and say, well, let me check the wind speed. Let me check. Okay, I'm feeling pretty good today. I think I'll. I think 700 is the target goal. Ryan, you got to stay on the line. You got to stay on the line and not get lost in what's happening on the target. You got to shoot one arrow at a time, and by doing that, eventually you'll surprise yourself with a higher score than you expect. Right? Yeah. Paul Tedford wants to know what do you do to stay healthy during those six to seven weeks in a row of international and domestic travel? My theory, Paul, is that Steve is relying on the antioxidants found in pepperoni. Yeah, the pizza um, is a cure all, and. Uh... Pizza and nasal spray, and you're good. Talking like the saline solution. Well, I like to hit that on the uh, on the airplane because you dry up pretty bad up there. That's not a joke. So, I mean, you know, you're talking about yeah. a very low humidity, and it's eight thousand feet altitude right. in most airplane cabins. Yeah, you you throw in some saline solution, 
Um, spray that a couple times on the plane. It'll, it'll solve a lot of respiratory issues. So starts with the sinuses and, and goes to the throat and goes to the lungs if you don't take care of it. I don't touch my face or eyes unless I have a chance to wash my hands very frequently when I'm flying. Mm. Goodness knows what's on surfaces, right? Yeah, I don't think about that. Well, I do. And so um, the other thing is I try to create a hostile environment for uh, for things by eating spicy foods. <laughs> and, uh, and shall we say... Um, Following the Hunter Thompson formula for drinking. No, just kidding. <laughs> Not familiar with Hunter Thompson. Oh, well, some people are yeah. that are listening to the podcast. We'll all Google it. That was definitely a joke. All right. <laughs> Joe Moyer wants to know if your release worked any better after launching it downrange at Field Nationals. Yeah, it, it fell. It fell? Fell. Horizontally 60 feet? <laughs> it fell. Yes, it worked great. Technically, it did fall. Right. Yeah. It might have had a horizontal component to the fall. Yeah. I was still, uh, you know, field nationals. I was still struggling with the fact that I left a good part of me at Gator Cup. You know, like all of the release execution I had built into me was gone thanks to that windy mess we had there. So, field nats was a good good opportunity to get in the woods and try to clean some of that up. And struggled a little bit, but um, you know, whatever whatever I did there helped. Reed Fowley says. Uh, he wants to know if it's possible to cut an arrow too short and cause it to become unstable in flight. I don't think so. I, I mean, you're yeah. you know you can stabilize a a crossbow bolt. You can probably stabilize a short arrow. Yeah. But of course, you know, there's a lot of variables that you didn't mention, Reed, that could affect things a different way. I, but no, generally speaking, no. I don't think we could cut them too short. I mean, think about what uh, you know the little knitting needles they use for. Uh, flight archery right you know, although i will point out flight arrows are are generally meant to be just this side of unstable because they're supposed to surf a little bit mm, to help them yep. stay in the air yep. so their center of balance and their center of gravity i'm sorry their center of aerodynamic pressure and their center of balance are very close together they're very low foc mm-hmm. but they're you know i've seen some of those that are what eight inches long yes that's right the football ones in particular yeah. I think they make them eight inches long to make it hurt less if you accident. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Vinny Bleakley. uh, Hi, guys. Is there a way to get a pin adapter to fit the axis shafts? So, uh, yeah, kind of, sort of, but it involves some serious hoops involving using a uni bushing. Yeah. Which does not sound like a great idea. So there's no pin specifically that would work with an axis that I know of. Yeah, I'm not sure we could make it work. Nah, I don't think so, Vinny. I, I don't know, to be honest, but I don't think so. Uh, Dan Severn, what are Steve's best tips for using a hinge release aid properly? Um, it's the old oxymoron of, uh, pull harder and relax more. The, uh, the, the, uh, that is a, that is a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, cause what you're trying to do is get, is get everything, you know, your front arms directed towards the target. Your, your release hand is, is building tension away from the target and your hand has to relax. So, as your hand elongates, the release turns over and fires. Okay. So I, I imagine the, you know, the tension coming from my elbow. Like say say there's a string tied to my elbow and the strings at the you know tied to the target on the other end and. The pallet of bricks analogy that you right. brought up before. Yep. Yep. So, it's just a matter of, and I found it in in Turkey. I got that release hand to relax and. Um, Shots started firing a lot cleaner, and aim was good, and it was it was great. I, I I had missed that for a while. Okay, and and Steve's answer just now takes care of the second part of Dan's question, which is how can I perfect the use of the back muscle to ensure proper shot execution? Yeah, I don't think about the back muscle whatsoever. It's not a part of the equation. I, I've heard people say squeeze like a beach ball between your shoulder blades. I don't think that works. Honestly, it's a little bit more of a recurve thing. Yeah, that because it's kind of the expansion. Well, we're trying to get through bit. the clicker. Yeah. Whereas you're pulling up against the wall. Right. Marty Judnick, can we discuss the pros and cons between the Hoyt Prevail X3 cams versus the SVX cams? I'm pretty sure we talked about this before. Yeah, just uh, quickly, you know, X3 cam is not as fast as the SVX. It's a little softer on the wall. Um, that's about the, the difference. So, What do you think just, would be better for target archery? Uh, depends. Some guys who... I mean, I want the performance of the SVX cams, and 
with the adjustability on those, you can really change the the uh, how hard the wall is. So, is the character of the SVX cam more like? Um, and this isn't Marty asking. I'm just asking here because just just to clarify this a little more, a little more like a spiral cam, right? Yeah, the SVX is it's the an current, improved spiral current cam. spiral cam. Yeah. So, um, you know, whereas the, the X3 cam is your more shall we say um, smooth. And yeah, traditional cam and a half. Yeah, it, it's gonna feel a little easier to draw at the equivalent poundage a little more forgiving if you're a little soft on the valley right yep yeah if you're if you're making weak shots the svx will snatch the pebble from your hand right right all right joshua moore i don't understand joshua's question what is the magical arrow length for a compound archer please (laughs) 30 and a quarter okay there you go there's your answer joshua (laughs) in the absence of any more data that's your answer and then Brett Gibbs wants to know, why can't we get a pink 3D Superknock? I can give you the home phone number for our sales manager who doesn't want to add SKUs. <laughs> yeah, I would like to have about 10 more colors of those. So maybe maybe someday. we got to get some people talked into it. Here's the deal, Brett. We, we need to have a balance between trying to have enough variety to make people happy and having so much variety that geeks like us are happy. And somewhere in between is where we need to be. Right. And keeping, uh, you know, our, our people who manage part numbers and, and uh, distributors who stock our SKUs, they they got to they gotta be somewhere in that balance as well. Well, I'll say this. I, I have a sneaking uh, admiration for my old friend Werner Beiter and the fact that he had at one time more than 800 different SKUs, mm-hmm. stock keeping units, that is, you know, basically part numbers for Knox. That's how many combinations that they had. Right. And still do, I think. Well, they're a knock company. Exactly. They were specialists in making That's knocks. That's what they do. Yeah. You know? If all we did was make knocks, we'd probably have a lot of knocks. No <laughs> doubt. So, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, the reason you can't get a pink 3D super knock isn't because we have anything against having a pink 3D super knock. It's because the demand is really tiny. We we may have them in the future. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the uh, Yeah, I'm pushing open. for it. I mean... I want to have more colors too, yeah. But we also have to have a balance. We, you know, we are into lead manufacturing because we're making everything here in the USA. To be competitive, we have to be. Um, we have to think lean, which you know the Toyota system. We use that in our factory. We have to be smart about what we do when we do it from the standpoint of keeping costs under control as a company. Mm-hmm. Just like any company trying to be competitive, right? We're trying to compete with inexpensive f- labor from overseas, and we're basically the only archery company that's innovating in aerospace right now in the aero uh, category, and that's expensive. So, you know, I'm not trying to make an excuse for why we don't have pink 3D super knocks, but it's a balancing act to keep costs under control and to provide all these different options that. You might only sell a few of every year. And, you know, knocks are made on high-tech equipment. The cost of running that equipment is very high. And so, you know, um, once there's enough interest in a 3D super knock that is of a different color, we'll, we'll probably do it. Yeah. So. I could argue I would, I would like to see a new knock to replace the 3D super knock. You okay. Know, th- there's... And we're there's always all open sorts to those of, discussions. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of things we could do with Knox and you know, that I mean that if we have that conversation for color, that could be the the thing that pops up and then someone goes, "Well, let's not make a new color of it if we're going to replace it." So Sure. That that stuff's you know. And these are conversations we have all the time. Yep. You know, we're constantly looking at ways to do things better. And it and, seems trivial because you think it's a knock, but when you see how many we you know, have to stock in terms of if you just took all the knocks, we have to maintain. I don't, I don't factory. think people have any idea what it costs to make tooling for a knock. No, because the precision required is is tremendous. Right. You know, it's why, it, honestly, it's why companies um, there aren't that many companies doing it. You know, it's uh, it's hard to do a good quality knock. So, it's not to say you can't have pink ones. Brett will work on it for you <laughs> sooner or later. So, Steve, um, I guess you're going to head off to the Apple Store pretty soon here to take care of your drowned iPhone. Yep, yep. Got to 
Gotta make it work out. So I, I need to hear the story sometime about just why it is you decided to jump into a pool with your phone in your pocket, but that's a separate story. Well, I, I, it's a pretty easy story. I mean, I just didn't remember to take the anything out of the left pocket. I got my uh, three thousand Japanese yen and my uh, hotel key and my wallet out of my right pocket, and uh, that was it. You have three thousand yen left over from your trip. Yeah, so. We are trying to exchange it, and we had been walking around, so I had it in my pocket. Well, the good news is Phil will be here this week. I'll just keep it. I'll be there again someday. Well, there you go. Yeah. It might be a good investment. Who knows? Yes. All right. Well, that just about wraps it up for another Eastern podcast. We've got the World Cup coming up this week in Salt Lake City, which you can follow on NBC Sports if you're in the United States. It'll be on the Olympic Channel outside the United States. The World Archery's website will give you pointers to how to get online and watch that or It'll be on cable, like I said, here in the USA. So for myself, George Tekmachev, Steve the Big Cat Anderson. End of show. End of show.